Hello, Hannah. It's lovely to see you. Thank you very much for joining us for our clinical decision-making series. Um, I trust you can hear me and you can see me. I can, Dina. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Fabulous. Well, why don't we just get straight into it? We are having a conversation today about clinical decision-making and those yep. tough decisions that aren't straightforward. Yep. So I wonder if you could start by just telling me a little bit about one of your dilemmas. Yeah, I suppose, um, you know, I feel like it's weekly, a weekly occurrence, Nina, when you asked me to do this, it was um, it was, it was a plethora of choice out there for, for what I might bring to, to discuss today. So, um, so I'd like to discuss a case that I had um, last week, actually, um, and it was a, a person. So as part of my role um, as, a, as a consultant, pharma, or provisional consultant pharmacist, um, I do lots of mentorship. And because of that, um, the way that I like to do that is to is to go into people's place of work rather than them shadowing me doing my job, which can sometimes be a bit of a disconnect there on on sort of level of practice. I like to go in and see see what people are, are doing and the the people that they're seeing in their practice and try and try to help them approach things in different ways or or to understand things better. So so this was a case that came up actually in just general practice. Um, it was a primary care network pharmacist that was reviewing this person who had dropped into her clinic list um, and it turned into what was probably even a very complex case for me to manage. Um, and so um, it, it's insightful, I think, because it, it shows that on any one day, no matter what level you're practicing at, you're going to see any any number of things and we need to be able to sort of navigate that safely, depending on where your competence and confidence lies. Absolutely. So this, this lady yeah, so this lady, this lady comes into clinic. Um, so she'd had a HbA1c of 42 in July of 2021. Um, she'd had a repeat of that um, in December 21. Um, so very few months later, and it had jumped to 92. So this My is a goodness. Big, yeah, yeah. Wow. So this is a yeah. So a big jump off a big jump off a cliff, and and she was she was 84 years old. So we've kind of got lots of things playing into this. A um, the fact that she's got a really high HbA1c independent of everything else going off, the fact that that has progressed very rapidly over that period of time, um, the fact that she was older um, and she was an older person um, with some frailty, although actually for an 84-year-old, she looked absolutely amazing. Um, and, you know, we had... Um, we had a conversation around what what might be happening with this person. So I think I think the, the difficulty with this is that for me, this is a this is a sort of case that haunts me. I got this type of question on my consultant pharmacist interview. And I have to say at the time, thanks to a lot of nerves, I don't think I did it massively amount of justice, but I'm now very familiar with dealing with this as a result. So um, so the question is, what type of diabetes does she have? Um, and I think that, you know, predominantly people are well aware of, of type 2 diabetes and they're well aware of type 1 diabetes and everything else around that. All the other different types of diabetes are a little bit more elusive um, or we might not know a lot more about those. So there, there are lots of different types of diabetes. There are some monogenic types of diabetes that can be pancreatic um, insufficiency that leads to leads to diabetes. So um, so we just need to be quite careful about sort of navigating that 
diagnostic side of things that then informs what we're going to do with that person. So although we're managing the medicines, actually in this particular case, it was really what is happening with this with this lady. She was highly symptomatic. So she described to us that she had, um, you know, she was going to the bathroom frequently. Um, she'd lost a significant amount of weight. So she'd lost about a stone and a half in, in that period of time, which not surprising because her blood sugars are very high. So she'll be losing, basically losing calories by who she's weighing them out. Um, however, also, you know, weight loss is always that red flag symptom, isn't it? To know, um, is there something more sinister going on, especially with, with the drop in the HbA1c? So yeah, we noticed absolutely. that the pancreatic scan, of the, sorry, Nina, there's a bit of a delay. That's why I'm not responding to you. <laughs> I, think, I, think it's my, I think it's my side of things. Um, so the pancreatic scan had been ordered. Um, and as a result of that, um, she should have been being seen really in secondary care. Um, and that should have been a follow up from there for some reason that referral from the pancreatic scan. I'm not sure whether it hadn't had enough detail in it to merit the two week wait, but she should have definitely been on a two week wait for that pancreatic scan, um, which hadn't happened and um, which we discovered when she was in the clinic room with us. So already we're dealing with quite a, um, a loaded gun in, in many ways in the, in the sense that we've got a very difficult conversation now to have with this person who's aware that she's been um, referred for a pancreatic scan seems to have been told nothing about the reasons why that pancreatic scan had been requested um and we we had to discuss them with her that we needed to sort of fast track that scan as soon as possible really um and that i needed to pick this up in my other roles um in my other places of work to try and get that jilded along a bit can i just pause um, you for a so sec absolutely i'm just thinking about just trying to get my head around the really difficult aspects of this decision because I think I'm hearing on the one hand there's the clinical stuff the knowledge stuff what kind of diabetes is this then there's the wider implications which are and what are the other red flags around this this is an older person who's lost weight and then there's the person-centered part of that which is her perhaps lack of insight into what's going on maybe she hasn't been told maybe her fears uh, and am I hearing right that the difficult aspects of these decisions are happening on all of those different levels? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where your complex decision making comes in and that sort of length of practice and seeing more things and having to have conversations like this and staying calm in that situation. I mean, I know that certainly the PCM pharmacist was very happy that I'd been in the room when she'd had this person walk through the door. Um, but it does beg it does beg the question is to is is to when people are practicing out there in general practice and they are having to meet this what support is out there for them to to get that sanity check that second check when they feel like something's not quite right or there's sort of alarm bells starting to ring i think that's something to set up when we get to setting up the ics's and how we run the pathways of care across those systems so so yeah so i mean we, we discussed at great length that the most important thing for this person was to keep her safe while we pended um, testing um, and that we needed to really do due diligence around um, around making sure that we were aware of what type of diabetes this was. Um, the, the main thing for her is that with a HbA1c of 92, we would always recommend that somebody 
um, pending a firm diagnosis would go on some sort of insulin, especially because of the, the how rapid that onset had been of those symptoms and also how quickly the HbA1c had jumped. Um, so, so we talked about starting insulin. She hadn't had that discussion before. So again, you're talking to somebody who three, you know, six months ago didn't have any diabetes, not even pre-diabetes, and now we're talking about starting her on insulin. So just as we experience with people with a with a diagnosis of type one diabetes, you know, it really is very difficult sometimes to come to terms with that as a lifestyle change and especially at 84 years old have to take that on um luckily she's very motivated very um engaged person so we didn't have any barriers with regards to cognitive impairments or anything like that she was perfectly capable of self-caring however um you know it, it, for anybody it's an emotional emotional hit nina and i think um you know, we we had to manage that in addition to then having the discussion around why we were putting her on a two week scan for her for her pancreas. Um, she um she hadn't had her GAD antibodies requested, so part of checking whether you've got type one diabetes, the recommended way to go about that it depends on the labs. So sometimes the labs will request for type one diabetes um uh, the whole range of autoantibodies as a as a one-off because the it's just the costing of it is sometimes easier just to get the lot done together rather than requesting it as two separate things and um, whereas some labs it's cheaper to request your gad antibodies which are normally your most commonly your most common autoantibodies that would be present in somebody with type one and then if they were negative then you would test the rest of the autoantibodies to just double check um, so the reason why we test autoantibodies in type 1 diabetes is around the fact that it is an autoimmune um, problem and we would expect to find some autoantibodies attacking basically your pancreas and, yeah. and knocking I, it off. I and, absolutely and hear that. Um, so I'm just wondering, you know, because obviously our, our time is a bit limited today. What happened in the end with this person? And I think more importantly than that almost. Could you share some of your reflections of that journey that you had to go on with that PCM pharmacist and that patient? Absolutely. I mean, I think that for me, the, the best thing to do in a situation like that is just start from the beginning to not be pressured by okay. time. We had a clinic list, yes, but actually this was for sure going to be our most complex and most important person to get right that day. Um, it was the most pressing thing to get sorted. So from my point of view, I felt in a luxurious position because I could pick this person up on the other side of the thing. So we basically, she went straight on our MDT list. She got straight to the trust. She's been started on insulin and she's already had her scan within the period of like three days. Wow. Um, and, you know, that that's important because, you know, that's what the system wide working is about if I was if I was a PCM pharmacist without any of those connections in place in my day to day job, um, you can see why it's very important to have those tiers of care in place, Nina, and having that sort of that connection to myself or other colleagues at that tier three level to expedite things when it's really necessary to do so. Um, I think from from my point of view, you know, from her, 
and reflecting on the difficult conversation, she was clearly upset, but we needed to have that conversation with her about the fact that we were scanning her pancreas to check for if there was anything sinister. Um, however, that, you know, comforted her um, with regards to the fact that we never say never with any of these things. We 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 were not sure. That's why we were testing. Um, and to be honest, it was equally as likely to be a very, very late onset type one diabetes as it was to be something pancreatic going on. And we were just doing due diligence and to try not to get too upset or or stressed about it until we had more information really and that we talked her through some of her symptoms she'd had really bad um vaginal thrush because she was so symptomatic and she was she, and you know that to her was being really uncomfortable so even something very simple that came out of that consultation was that we were able to give her a pessary um a caniston pessary and she was able to go away and at least during this period while we're figuring out what's going on be a bit more comfortable um, yeah. and that was I, I really I think that's sorry I know the delay is a problem for both of us I just wanted to say to you that I think that's a really good demonstration of the balance between what's important to the patient and what's important to you because it seems to me from what you've said about her that actually the clinical part of the diabetes was less obvious to her than actually the pain she was suffering from the thrush. And what you've described, I think very articulately, is how you balance the challenging decision-making between what you clinically needed to do from your clinical knowledge and actually what you needed to do to make her life better in the short term while she was waiting. Can I ask you, how do you, what do you think the things that happened to you were, I didn't articulate that very well, I want to ask you, how do you think you developed yourself to get to a stage where you could balance the clinical decisions with the person-centred care? I think in all honesty, Nina, it's just seeing seeing a plethora of different people and different scenarios come, come through the door. Um, also, you know, spending time with other clinicians, you know, I still do yeah. that. Um, and I think that actually I, I really revel in it because it's just I never leave anybody's consultation room without thinking, oh, that was a great way to say that or oh, that was a really, really good way to handle that complex and difficult conversation. And I think the more that you see of how other people practice, sometimes that can sort of add to your toolkit in a way. So, you know, never be ashamed to ask to sit in with somebody. Um, and I think that, you know, even now I'll sit in and also move out outside your profession. So I think that, you know, nurses have very different conversations sometimes to what we might have as a pharmacist, to what the medics have. And I think, again, building up that toolkit is about how do you um, how do you see those different conversations coming out from different angles? And again, you add that into your toolkit and you you get this very then holistic approach to things. And I think you know, as pharmacists, we're in a great place to manage people from a really holistic, multi-morbid polypharmacy angle. Um, and it's, you know, this is this is just perfect to, to sort of have those conversations if we can sort of get the right skill set put into the mix, if you like. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I also think that I find that I <coughs> learn not just from multidisciplinary colleagues, but also I'm very aware that I'll learn from anyone I'm with. So I might be mentoring somebody, but I, I'm extremely likely to learn something from them, even if they're perhaps less experienced in one area than I am. I'm more experienced in another. 
it's really important to continue to always be curious. And that feels to me like an important take home message is always be out there to consider things and to learn things. But if the take home messages aren't meant to be from me, they're meant to be from you. So go on, Hannah, G give me some take home messages. You're making my job really easy, you know, absolutely. That's the take home message here is carry on being curious. Keep on seeing people just get, you know, be open minded about what's going to come through your door. And I think sometimes as well, um, I think that PCM pharmacist may have passed that person under normal circumstances, probably to another professional, whereas actually sometimes working through it um, and, and learning from that with the person, I mean, you can easily say to the person living with diabetes that, you know, this isn't my area of expertise and I'm going to speak to colleagues after we've had this consultation. However, let's just talk through a few things and then you can kind of, that's how you kind of push yourself a little bit to that. I don't know that stretch point if you like where your practice becomes a little bit less comfortable but you're still practicing with incompetence and I think that's um you know it's really important that we that we do that as pharmacists and we kind of start to start to move forward in the way that we can handle um diabetes as a complex um care issue oh thank you that's been so fascinating what an amazing story and uh, I really appreciate your time today so I'm going to draw this to a close now and it just leaves me to say thank you so much again for your time, Hannah. Take care. Thank you, Nina.